Hello, and welcome to Kickout 299. I am Rachel. My pronouns are they, them. I'm Alicia. My pronouns are she, her. Today, we are here with our good friend, Deswari, who you all might remember from the April episode of Talking Triple Crown. This is technically your first time on Kickout, so welcome, Des. Uh, could you go ahead and please introduce yourself and tell everyone where they can find you? Hey, I'm Deswari. My pronouns are he, him, and you can find me on Twitter at Deswari, where I talk about All Japan Pro Wrestling, and I've extended periods of inactivity between those All Japan shows. <laughs> Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you for being here. Today, we will be discussing the recent pay-per-view all together again. If you have energy, you can do anything. And that was on June 9th at Rogoku Koku Gikan. The idea of this event was to reward fans for enduring the years of hiatuses, restrictions, and anxiety in the industry from the COVID-19 pandemic by putting on an energizing show that celebrated pro wrestling as a whole by uniting All Japan, New Japan, and NOAA. So with great enthusiasm and energy, let's all come together to talk about All Together. So the card for this show was as follows. We started out with a match zero or a pre-show match with Black Mensure, Ro Inoue, Rusuke Taguchi, and Yo versus Alejandro, Atsushi Katoge, Seiki Yoshioka, and Super Crazy. Next, kicking off the show proper, we have The Tough, or Masaki Namiya and Yoshiki Inamura, and Daiki Inaba versus Chaos, Hiroki Goto, Tomohiro Ishii, and Yoshihashi. Next, we have Chris Ridgway and Sean Legacy versus TMDK, Kosei Fujita, and Zack Sabre Jr. Yoshitatsu and Shota Umino in our one singles match on this card. Hokuto Omori and Satoshi Kojima versus Axis, or Goshiyazaki and Katsuko Nakajima. Junta Miyawaki, Naomichi Marafuji, and Takashi Sugiura versus Strong Style, El Desperado, Minoru Suzuki, and Ren Narita. Jun Saito, Rei Saito, Dan Tamura, Hikari Sato, and Ryuki Honda took on the United Empire, or Aaron Hanare, Francesco Akira, Gray Okan, Jeff Cobb, and TJP. Suwama, Yuji Nagata, and Yuma Anzai versus Los Ingrenobles de Japón, Bushi, Shingo Takagi, and Tetsuya Naito. Then we have our big guys match, just five guys, Sonata, Takamichi Noko, and Yoshinobu Kanemaru versus GLG, good-looking guys, Jake Lee, Tadasuke, and Yohei. For our semi-main, we have Amaksa, Atsuki Aoyagi, and Hiromu Takahashi versus Hayato, Master Wado, and Rising Hayato. And for our main event, we have Hiroshi Tanahashi, Kaito Kiyomiya, and Kento Miyahara versus Kazuchika Okada, Keno, and Yuma Aoyagi. So this was quite the card. <laughs> a lot, a lot of good things. Um, actually, just off air, we were talking about that this card was surprisingly good. Um, especially <laughs> if you look back to past altogethers, which I have admittedly only watched the main event of the past altogether shows. Um, so I was wondering if you guys had any other like thoughts on that and how that compares to past altogether shows. But I think we're all on the same page that this card was definitely a lot more interesting. Yeah, I think so as well. 
there were a lot more stories that went into this and it felt like there was a bit more of a build going into this, but I didn't witness the first two altogethers live as they were happening, so I can't say for sure whether or not that is the case. With the first two altogether events, they were really charity events. And we're going to talk about this in a moment, but this event is not a charity event. And I think there was a little bit of confusion because of that. Um, but this event is not a charity event. And therefore there was a lot of story and a lot of build going into it. Whereas the other two by design were purely charity events around two tragic natural disasters in Japan. So they are meant to be super cards. They're meant to just have really big names from all three of the promotions on the card. And Inherently, there's no storyline in that. It's just meant to be focused on this is a charity event. We're coming together to do something for Japan. And um, so, yeah, there's there's not a lot of story on those cards. Um, I've seen all of 2011. I have not seen all of 2012, I don't think. Um, it's been a while. But admittedly, um, it's, it's hard for me to remember because the cards aren't really that good <laughs> for uh, 2011 and 2012. The only, like like big memory I have from 2011 is there is an incredible no mercy tag on the 2011 um, card, which is against like Apollo, Gogo, Kai, Katsuhiko Nakajima and Potoro Suzuki, which is like a banger of a match for 2011. Especially if you know, like what is great about 2011 Noah is a lot of those guys. Um, so yeah, like that's, that's a highlight, but otherwise, like, there's really not that great of matches on both of those cards. A lot of the matches are really weird. And again, there's the absence of story, the absence of build, but that was intentional because it wasn't meant to be about that. It was just meant to be coming together as a charity effort, both times for Japan. So yeah, that's what I think the biggest difference is. And there's a totally different feel. Um, yeah. And to that end, um, I'm glad you sort of brought that up is this show is not really a charity show like it really wasn't to um, benefit a specific charity or anything like that, but it does really try to hold true to um, some of that main purpose of all together and that's to revitalize the industry after a great tragedy and that would be um, the COVID-19 pandemic I do think a lot of fans sort of miss that difference, um, that this isn't necessarily a charity event. And I think that actually does contribute in some ways, like to your point, Alicia, that why this um, has a lot more storyline going into it, because like you said, it, it's meant to revitalize the industry and bring life and bring excitement. And like I said, um, the big theme is energy of pro wrestling and make people love pro wrestling. So we're going to be getting a lot more of those angles, a lot more uh, storyline to really uh, get people to sort of bite into it. And um, yeah, I, I think that's really what it's about in the end. It's um, sort of a way to reward fans for making it through the worst parts of the pandemic and to recognize COVID. Um, it's sort of meant to feel like a sunrise after a very long night, which is uh, something that Keno actually brought up on his channel. And I just want to add too, it was funny because I didn't see a ton of these comments on my timeline, but I did see in the aftermath, some people being like, oh, New Japan did some jobs because it was for a charity event. But when you think about it, like this wasn't for charity. There was no money being, you know, passed to charities in this. This was about cooperation and coming together as an industry after um, COVID-19 really, you know, damaged this industry in a lot of ways. So it, I think it's funny to contextualize people's salty little comments against the reality of what this show was meant to represent, which was really 
coming together and also there being a very obvious level of cooperation on these cards, despite it also being hosted and sort of managed by New Japan. All proceeds go to the Bushi Road Fund. That's how <laughs> that's, we should that's see this. Right. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a little bit of a unfortunateness about that, but <laughs> um that that a big, big company still does benefit. But um no, I, I think that's really it is um it's just about a true return to form in the industry. That's what they were aiming for. Um and then you also had read an article earlier today, Alicia that mentioned this event was partially a tribute to Inoki, which was why um, his grandsons were featured throughout. Like you, you see them, they do shots of them all the time throughout the card. And then mm-hmm. they also closed the show with Okada, which was a really sweet moment. Yeah, definitely a good touch. And um, I think we'll see more of this tribute to Inoki sort of continue, even though it's been um, a little bit of time since Inoki passed away. But I think that theme will continue for um, quite some time, at least where New Japan is concerned. So um, we touched on the close of the show. Let's talk about the very, very beginning of the show. It opens with a talk segment between Suwama, Shizaki, and Tanahashi, which I thought was really cool that um, we have these three opening the card, even though, you know, our main event is Tanahashi, um, Okada, and Kiyomiya. We have uh, sort of the older aces opening up. I found that pretty significant. I didn't know if you guys had any thoughts on that. I think it was really cute. And I think Tanahashi also welcomed Sumama back to the land of the baby faces after he <laughs> left Voodoo Murder. So that was also really nice. Yeah, I like this. I think that it's a great way to inspire some continuity because they were the faces of the last altogether. So um, I think me and Des own the same shoe pro because there's like some really nice photos of the three of them um, promoting this together as well. And like they were the faces of it. And it's just interesting um, to see them come together now. It's interesting to think of Shio. Um, how old is Kenta compared to him? Shio must be like 40, 41. It's interesting to think that he is now one of the older aces all of a sudden. Um, but yeah, I think that was a nice move, um, a way to inspire a little bit of continuity, even though at this point, you know, the in the build of this, uh, they really focused on Tanahashi, Kaito Kiyomiya, and Kento Miyahara um, in, in the build up to this. But yeah, I thought it was really nice. I thought it was a really great touch to add them to this card in that way. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was just a really cute moment. They were all very cute together. I liked uh, what Des said too about this being sort of a return to form for Suwama as well, um, which does kind of occur throughout uh, towards the end in the backstages with uh, him getting back together with Evolution. We'll have a lot of thoughts on that, especially uh, I'm sure for Talking Triple Crown uh, at the end of the month. But um, yeah, yeah, I thought this was just really sweet. We also had uh, the band Funkist perform the theme they originally wrote uh the theme which is called all together back in 2011 in uh support of the community efforts towards the tohoku earthquake and yeah they performed it live during this event and i thought that was really really cute i also really love that song it's really good (laughs) let's move into the main card what were your guys's thoughts what were some matches uh that really stood out to you guys we started off strong with the first match with Masaki Tamiya, uh, Daiki Inaba, and Inamura versus Yoshihashi, Goto, and Ishii. Like the crowd right off the bat was really loud. And this was the first match that I had watched from Yoshihashi since COVID started. And he is a changed man. He has emotions now. He's charismatic. And now I see why 
Bishamon is such a, a long tenure tag team champions in New Japan Pro Wrestling. It all makes sense now. This was a great way to start up the show. I agree with you, Des. I, I like this too. I enjoyed the pace. It's like just a good little match to kind of get you going on a big card like this. Um, I don't know if anything like particularly spectacular um, happened here, but the match worked really well enough. There were some really good spots for the crowd to get super into like Inamura squatting Ishii. Like he does that quite a bit in like his regular work, but it's like obvious that like the crowd was super into him doing it here and it just worked really well. Um Yoshihashi is like the king of New Japan now. It's really interesting. He's got like this different energy about him. I don't often get to see his matches either because I'm very piecemeal when it comes to how I watch New Japan. But um, I really enjoyed him like squaring off with Masa at the end, which was like fantastic. Um, And then I really enjoyed him also like pushing Inamura away and being like, you go away. And like, wow, like, like Yoshihashi is running things now. Like this is not like Ishii has like no care at all about any of this. And like, if this is not Goto's uh, doing here, it's Yoshihashi telling them what to do. So I don't know. I'm with Tess. I, I think I love the energy out of him. And this was a fun way to kind of start the main card. Yeah, this this was a lot of Yoshihashi. And um, yeah, Alicia, you had always called him like the the ace, the true ace of New Japan. I believe it. I agree with it now. Um, yeah, I, I thought this was good. I had sort of wished one of them would have pinned Ishii and eventually challenged for the never six mans. I know that's sort of a far off wish. But um, I thought that would have been fun. I thought that would have been a good little storyline thing um, playing off of the energy that they've had with Ishii in the past. Bishamon have belts at the moment. So I thought that the result was pretty much um, obvious, but Masa also had sort of a real streak going with beating NJPW guys in crossover shows. So I sort of wanted to see that continue, but I thought Masaguni all looked good and they had all a lot of energy and heat. So I liked this match. I liked it a lot. They did a lot of like training photos, the three of them leading up to the card as well. So it was just like kind of fun to see, um again like those like it's not really like hard storyline but just like a lot of stuff went into everybody getting ready to like be on this card so kind of cool details Des, did you have any strong opinions about the next match um by chance i had opinions uh strong opinions about the runtime i was not thrilled with this out of the chris ridgeway and sean legacy match with tmdk and that was kosei fujita and zach saber jr um what did you think so I don't really watch a lot. Um, I pick and choose what I watch from Noah. And so Chris Ridgway and Sean Legacy, I haven't watched anything from them. And I'm not going to lie. I was impressed with Chris Ridgway. Like him and Zack Sabre Jr. going at it and having this very technical match. But then Ridgway staying true to his, I don't know, stinger, stinger ruthlessness or brashness and, you know, slapping his own teammate around and kind of make an example, not just of the opponents and also his teammate. I I was impressed. I really liked this match. And I'm hoping that we get to see Chris Ridgway challenge Zack Sabre Jr. for the title that he's holding. But I've noticed that not a lot of outside Japanese wrestlers are challenging New Japan wrestlers for their titles. Has there been any occurrences of that of like a Noah wrestler or an all japan wrestler challenging a new japan wrestler for their title i'm only seeing new japan and Noah wrestlers challenging for all japan or Noah new japan wrestlers challenging for Noah titles 
I can't like think of a of anyone off the top of my head. Like it's not coming to me quickly. So I wonder if like that really hasn't been the case at all to your yeah. point. So I don't know if that will happen or not, but they did have a, a stare down after the match. So I'm hopeful. I do believe Zach had mentioned wanting to bring um, himself and TMDK over to Noah or back over to Noah um, would be more accurate. So I don't know if anything will come from that. We're going to hear a lot of that in the post-match comments. A lot of people wanting to continue this um, collaboration, which is fantastic. But again, we we just don't know if anything's actually going to come from that. But I had completely forgotten that Zach had a title. <laughs> <laughs> um, really did. New Japan has so many dang titles, but, uh, but yeah, yeah, that, that would be really, really cool to see Alicia. What were your thoughts on this match and, uh, the interactions between these guys? Cause, uh, I think a lot of people were really anticipating Chris Ridgeway and Zack Sabre Jr. Uh, squaring off. I think my most controversial opinion about this match is that Kosei Fujita is already a better wrestler than the other three veteran participants of this match. I think it's because like there are aspects of ZSJ that I do really like. Um, I tend to like him in matches where he's with people like Kenta. Those are like my, usually my favorite type of ZSJ matches, but there's something about things that he does in his style of like grappling for pro wrestling that do bother me. Like he does something with Kosei here. It's like a shared move between them. Like they have a hold and then they let it go. They both twirl. And then this allows them to get to the end of the body of whoever they're doing. I think it's on Sean Legacy. Um, this allows them to get to the end of the body so that they can grab the leg. And it's like, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Like, there's something about that that bugs me. And I feel like people debate this and go back and forth. And like, that's fine. That's that's totally cool. But like, for me, that's like, that's weird and doesn't work. And it takes me out of um, the match a little bit. So yeah, that, that aspect of it, um, doesn't work for me a, a whole lot. Uh, and I'm just not like a huge, I've never really been a huge, like Ridgeway person. And then Sean is like very new to us over at Noah. He's one of the guys they picked up from at this point, the only guy I think they picked up from the San Francisco, um, tryout, because I don't think the other person they picked up has really joined Noah yet. I don't know what's happening with that, but it was nice to see Kosei in this, but like this match also went 11 minutes and there's some other matches on this card where I wish they had gone 11 and this had maybe gotten like the eight or the six in terms of the length of the match. That's like the only thing I was questioning in terms of like going through the rest of this card is that I don't know why the match zero got 17 whole minutes on this card, but then there's other matches later on that like could have used time. This Chris Ridgeway and then um, Zack Sabre Jr. tag goes 11. Like that was what I was questioning as I was getting through the card. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. And I get that sort of when it's a pre-show match, it makes sense that it sort of goes longer and, and you can't really borrow time from that. But at the same time, like there really are matches that could have gone longer. And this is a match that they could have taken some of that time from like this one specifically. What did you guys think of the big singles match on this card and speaking of time because I do believe this was the shortest match on the card at just over five minutes and that's Shota Umino versus Yoshi Tatsu world famous Yoshi Tatsu this could have been shorter <laughs> <laughs> I wrote down that this was like a rough start for all Japan pro wrestling representation on the main card Tatsu I don't know in this match in particular I'm usually okay with Tatsu but he felt and looked really lethargic, low energy in this match. 
and there was a lot of botched moves and things that just it didn't really work out the ending was nice and that was like a cherry on top to finish this all up so i'm okay with it yeah i i'm as confused as you about like the energy of tatsu and i think that like you know it followed the formula of i think most other tatsu as the big veteran sort of matches and i think that's what he was trying to lean into but I don't know what went wrong in like the presentation of it. I did think it was nice to see Shota. I don't see Shota all that often. Um, Again, I'm very piecemeal with New Japan, so I just don't get to see him. But it was nice to see him. I didn't realize he comes to the ring in that many clothes. He comes with a million gifts for the audience. Like, that's so nice. I didn't, I I don't, I haven't seen him in a while. So that was really cool. He's, he's delightful. I think he's great. Tatsuo had to ruin everything by attacking him before the bell. I love that it was Wada that, got to join them for this too that like just kind of like added to it because he he kind of like wagged his finger at Tatsu right before they started to would just like added to the the nonsense of it all so yeah like it it's very much the same formula as like Tatsu as the veteran matches and how they go when he's doing that in all Japan but it just didn't look good and then it's like well we can probably cut this in half right like it didn't need to go the full um almost six minutes so yeah a, a bit confusing but like it was fine it wasn't like the most tragic thing I've ever seen I've written down that a lot of this match felt like it was um, sort of designed to get the audience chanting for Wada and and to get everyone really excited to see Wada, which, you know, that's that's fine. Shota looked great. He really did look like a baby ace. I think a lot of this card, and we're going to talk about this, is really designed to um, showcase and highlight a lot of younger talent and get eyes on them. And this match was designed to sort of do that whether it was particularly successful I don't know but we we do have a lot of Shota Umino and and he did look really good I thought and, and like Alicia said I love his entrance gear it looks so so good I expected the pants to be tear away they weren't which was a little sad but they were still very good next was a match that I had really been excited about I know Alicia I think um, the original iteration of this match was the one you were most excited about and that was the Axis match. We had Hokuto Amori and Satoshi Kojima versus Goshiyazaki and Katsuko Nakajima. The original iteration of this match was, of course, um, Shuji Ishikawa slated as Hokuto Amori's tag partner. It was complete with this incredible picture on Twitter of Hokuto cuddling on a bed with Ishikawa during a portrait shooting that AJPW did back in 2022. Um, they, they really, they really buckled down on this and it was really good, but unfortunately Ishikawa could not make the match and Satoshi Kojima stepped in, in his place. Um, I hope that Ishikawa is okay. We really, really did miss him in this match, but it did work out because Kojima spent his 2022 over in pro wrestling Noah, uh, taking the GHC heavyweight title from Goshiyazaki almost exactly a year ago, um, to this day. He also had this really incredible little mini rivalry with Nakajima. So there was some history there. Um, I was deeply disappointed that Ishikawa was unable to make it. Alicia, I know you were too. Yeah, this like weirdly enough became my most anticipated match just because 
Um, we don't often see these guys um, come together. Katsukiko has been in a ring with Ishikawa in the past. I was really interested in seeing what that would look like today. And um, I mean, I, I just have to put Des over for a second too, because he easily had the funniest tweets in the lead up and also during all together again. So if you're not following Des for his commentary during live shows, you really should do that. But um, <laughs> yeah, like it was like, I loved the way that um, Hokuto started to really play into like the boys love aspect of access that Ken also actually pointed out because that's why he started posting the photos of the weird log cabin <laughs> photo shoot that um, the old main army did before Jake left last year. So um, all of that was like such good um, build into this. So I was just really excited to see these guys um, come together. And then they added Kojima who I'm in like a weird um, scenario, like sort of war with right now, but no, it's it ended up being, I think, fine in the end. Like this was to me like one of the best uh, matches on the card easily. Um, I loved it. There was such energy between Hokuto and um, Katsuhiko. And I think ultimately that was really what this match was supposed to be about. I think it was always going to be built around Hokuto and Katsuhiko with Katsuhiko as like the veteran and Hokuto um, as, you know, this like young guy who's like really hungry, wants to prove himself against Katsuhiko. So yeah, I thought that like this was super hard hitting. Like I thought it was amazing, like watching Hokuto eject Katsuhiko like into the um the barricades, but also he ejected like Kojima so that he could get like a piece of access like by himself. So like all that energy was like super um cool. I thought that him and um Hokuto and Katsuhiko were like great dance partners the whole time, just like blistering with each other. And Hokuto looked better than he has like in a hot minute. I think he's like in a weird holding pattern right now with all Japan. Like I haven't loved like what they did with him in uh, this year's champion carnival. Like I think there's still a lot to be said for like where he can go as a character and a wrestler right now, but he looked fantastic here. I think the crowd really, really liked this. I feel like a lot of people coming out of this are getting talked about in a new way, which is great and had new like eyes on them. And Hokuto is one of them. So this match I think did a lot for him and, and his rising stock. Um, so yeah, I, I love this. This is one of my favorite matches on the card to be sure. So I don't think there's any doubt that so far with everything that I've said, I'm watching this show with all Japan glasses on. And so to me, this felt like a match that was there to show Hokuto's fire. And I think they did a really good job at it. Um, him and Nakajima was a great pairing and, you know, him taking Nakajima's pose and corner pose and doing it to him also helped. And I think they really need to take this momentum that uh, Hokuto has gained from this match and really convert that into something in All Japan. Maybe have him challenge Minoru Tanaka and win that Gaara TV title mm -hmm. that has been lost to great for the last several months now. Mm-hmm. I also have a hot take. So I've not watched Kojima versus Go, the first match that happened, but I did watch their interaction here. And my hot tape, um, my hot take for this is that Kojima has better machine gun chops than Go. Would you agree or disagree? Wow, <laughs> that's very controversial. Yeah, that's hot. That's <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> I, just I couldn't even get the words out saying that. Wholeheartedly disagree. I much prefer Shiazaki's. I think that there's just a better like snap. Like, I don't know. They're they're more satisfying to me. Just off of this one match alone, I had this feeling that, wow, Kojima, you really are the master of the machine gun. <laughs> I respect it, honestly. And I don't know. I think that like any answer I give right now is like just 
just shrouded in bias and deep Noah, like Shio fan bias. I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to concede that you, that you could very well be correct, but I am a Shio fan. So it's hard for me to go against it. <laughs> mm. Anyway, that is a very interesting take though, but I'm on the side of Shiozaki here. I think he has the best machine gun chops. I think they look really, really, I think they look painful um, sometimes for him too, but <laughs> Kojima also really sells how exhausting they are. So to be fair. Yeah. Yeah. I think you guys said everything that I really wanted to say. I really enjoyed uh, Hokuto's sort of shutter chance. I like that multiple people did the shutter chance on this card, but not, not Kojima. So that was really funny to me. Um, yeah. I thought the energy was great. It goes back to what I said, where the show really um, seek to highlight a lot of these young talents. And I liked Alicia, what you were saying, we talked about this earlier, that Hokuto is sort of in this weird holding pattern in all Japan. And you actually mentioned um, saying sort of like some identity issues with who he is as a wrestler. I thought that was just really interesting because we know um, how much both Nakajima and Shiozaki have struggled with that. So them sort of working with him, even just in this capacity, just could be really good for them and really good for him. And it's um, it really did show. And I, I do hope, um, like Des said, that he gets some momentum going forward and, and really has a breakout in all Japan. I just want to add, we're going to talk about it towards the end. A man, a certain man, said that he wants to see more exchanges between promotions, right? Like, we'll talk about more of that towards the end. I do think to your point, Rachel, that Hokuto would so benefit from frankly going over to Noah for a while and working with certain people. And I want to highlight too what Des said, like this, what we saw in this match, this like distilled version of Hokuto within like this like specific, you know, parameters, like this context, they need to figure out how to get that going all of the time in all Japan. And also why wouldn't you put the Gaura TV title on him that is being frankly wasted on like, you know, floating around in, in Glate where we don't see it. It's our belt. We, we need the belt back. So I think that's a great idea. Yeah, I'd completely another belt I had completely forgotten about. So thank you for bringing that one up. So to sort of jump over to the Noah side of things, I guess we've had our all Japan glasses on now time to talk about Junta Miyawaki, Naomi Chimara Fuji, and Takashi Sugira versus Strong Style. And that's Ren Narita, El Desperado, and Minoru Suzuki. So leading into this match, we had Mara Fuji and Sugira both sort of bullying El Desperado on Twitter through these promo videos. And they tried to rope uh, Junta into it. Mara Fuji had a hashtag <laughs> to uh, bully uh, El Desperado, but that's not really what this match was about which was very interesting the old men decided to bully narita instead so uh what were your thoughts on that one so <laughs> you're gonna feel cheated if you wanted them to fight el desperado but they're doing a bit where they then ignore el desperado <laughs> and that's the bit that's the point that's the old men from noah's funny little bit that they set up so in that way it's really funny and it's really mara fuji and it's really sugira but like it's it's sad a little bit that we didn't really get to see a lot of like El Desperado versus real Noah moments in this. But yeah, it was fine. You got to see a ton of Suzuki going against Mara Fuji and also Sugira. Those moments were great. It's like now we're a little bit 
further away from like the tragedy and trauma of the Suzuki Goon era of Noah. So now we can kind of look back, I think, a little bit nostalgically at some of those interactions. So now it's okay to see like Suzuki going against these guys and they still have the energy. You know, I think it's still great. It's awesome. I, I loved a lot of this, honestly. I do want to say, though, that the dubbed Marafuji theme that they walked out to, that was doppelganger levels of scary because it was just like it was just hysteric enough to like be like, OK, this makes sense. But it was also like weird, like really like inverted Marafuji theme. I didn't like it at all. That was really weird. But anyway, so, yeah, I thought the stuff with like that they did with Ren was like fine like, like really really just like beat the brakes off of him and then got the shit kicked out of them by suzuki like in turn and that was like kind of what the match was june does interesting uh june does very interesting in this match you know he he comes off very young especially i think when he's um going up against suzuki he had one big moment with a flip but otherwise i think that like junta was uh rachel you said to me last night like he was unremarkable and i think that's probably the only way that junta can really be um described here he was unremarkable in this match and then ate the pin from el desperado because everybody was too busy on the outside and left el desperado to uh to dispatch him so yeah an interesting match that is uh better if you really like real noah bits yeah i share the same sentiment that you guys shared that you really can't go wrong with the classics of Marufuji and Sugiura interacting with Minoru Suzuki. But other than that, I didn't really have much on this match. Miyawaki, I think I think he looked good. There was like, uh, towards the end, he was taking the fight to Suzuki and Desperado until he literally got shut down. But until then, it was just, you know, I was just more relying on Marufuji, Suzuki, and Sugiura's interactions to help me carry through the match. Yeah, I think that that really sums it up. I did appreciate some of that fire from Junta. Uh, those elbows on Suzuki in the corner just did not look good. To me, they they looked very slow. They looked very wide. Uh, Little they, boy they just, trying to fight a veteran, and I just didn't yeah, like that. Especially when you compare it to like the elbow, the forearm exchanges with Suzuki and Sugira that happened literally that same match, and those were phenomenal. Uh, like we we have already stated. So it just, yeah, it came off very little boy. And uh, yeah, it, it was interesting to me. It goes back to um, highlighting the young wrestlers, but in this case, it really felt like we were highlighting Narita over Junta. Um, and I'm not sure if that's just a charisma and skill issue um, or if that's how the match was designed, but I really did feel like there was a lot more focus on um, Ren Narita and uh, to that point, afterwards, um, Ren did ask for a singles match with Marafuji, which Marafuji was very open to. Again, we see this happen all the time, especially with Marafuji. A lot of people want to fight Marafuji in singles matches, and he wants and he to always fight says yes, always it never <laughs> happens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm still waiting for that um, that Oscar Venny match. I really want that one, but um, but yeah, no. Um, we don't know if it's going to happen, but it would be really cool. And I'll highlight too, just like speaking to the like nostalgic sort of classic aspects of this match. One of the like final visuals of the very like post-match is I think it's Suzuki walking up the ramp maybe. And it's Marafuji looking at him and the camera keeps like, you know, switching between the two of them. 
and it's nice. It's like, it's good. Like there's still like something there, which is really fun. And just to think about kind of where Marafuji is, he's approaching his 25th anniversary, but like, it's just nice to have those little nostalgic things as we we head towards that in August. That's a really good point. I'm glad you brought that up. We also had another great match to highlight some young talent where we shine a spotlight on Yuma Anzai, who really doesn't need as much of a spotlight to shine. He just shines naturally. But we did have this really um, great little match with Suwama Yuji Nagata and Yuma Anzai versus Los Ingernables de Japón. Anzai really, really wanted another shot at Tetsuya Naito after their last encounter um, on May 7th in AJPW. And it really, really showed um, this was another match. Like I said, it just existed to highlight Anzai. I thought it did a really good job. He did his knee on Naito. He got massive reactions from the crowd, which was just really, really cool. And um, yeah, it wasn't the most standout match, but if you've heard a lot about Anzai and are curious about him, uh, please do check that out. It is short and it really does show him off. What are your thoughts on this match? And um, yeah, Suwama got the pin, so we should probably talk about him too. (laughs) Yeah, I agree with everything that you said about this match. The only thing that I was a little upset by was Suwama getting the win. Mm. I wish. I wish it was Anzai, and I wish it was, like, over Takagi or Naito or someone. That would have made such a big impact. Like, I would have been okay with all the All Japan guys losing their matches just for that one moment of Anzai pinning Takagi or Anzai pinning Naito. But still um, a good match, a good showcase for Anzai as a super rookie. Interesting. This is where I'm the opposite because I... And I felt this way too, like as we get into talking about the the Just Five Guys GLG match, this quickly became like, because of the limited amount of time on these matches, I actually like didn't want Anzai to get a huge pin over like Naito um, or even like Shingo here, because I feel like that could be better served on a um, a different type of card with like more time to really like get into it. Um, so yeah, I, I can see it going like either way in terms of like what people would have wanted. But for me, I was like, eh, I, I, I almost would rather wait because I feel like these matches as we get towards the um, the co-main and the main are not going to go very long. And I was right they're They're super, super short. Um, but it was cool to see him like go after Naito with such like fury. Like he really wants um, that pin. And, and like, I hope he gets it one day. For me, like, I don't get to see Shingo that often. So whenever I see Shingo, I get excited because, like, Shingo's Shingo's the fucking guy. He's great. So um, he's always fun. He just has such a personality. So I love seeing him in things like this. But Suwama is the fucking guy forever because he was so great in this. Like, he was awesome. When he took, like, um, the chops to uh, to Shingo, that looked brutal. He's so brutal. Um, and then Suwama, like, ending Bushi um at the end for that <laughs> for that pin that looked spectacular i didn't watch this live um i was basically just reading des's tweets and then like scrolling to see like the photos <laughs> and like the little video clips that were coming in um because i had to work but i like the pictures of this are absolutely spectacular because he gets such height on bushi because bushi is like you know 45 pounds so it just looks spectacular i don't think anyone else could possibly take that move from suwama the way that bushi does it looked fucking nuts it was awesome suwama's amazing i hope he wrestles like this literally until he's 97 he's great so yeah and i thought the jumping knee on naito looked nuts because like sometimes anzai comes in so hard he almost takes himself out with it which has that like just energy of looking really cool 
Yeah, it's perfectly said that last ride that that final was just so killer. It was it was really good. That final ending stretch. Um, but yeah, no, the, this match was really short. And um, actually, you had asked me how long the show was. And you said, was it somehow 90 minutes? Because um, all the all the undercard matches were six minutes. I was like, yeah, I mean, it's a four hour show, but you're not entirely wrong. <laughs> a lot of these matches are are very short to make room for the um, not even really the co-main. The co-main was still pretty, um, pretty short. Co-main short. Yeah. But the the main event, um, even then, that was still under thirty. But um, but had yeah, to make room for the Zack Saber Junior match. Yeah, we got to get those eleven minutes in. Had to do yeah. it. Hmm. Um, speaking of a match that I felt was too short, and I know you agree with me, Alicia. Um, just five guys versus good looking guys. Um, that was uh, Sonata and Jake Lee's big moment to square off. And uh, hopefully not their last one because I did think that they didn't really have enough time together. I, um, I'm just sort of disappointed in this match in general. It was, it was announced super late. It was the last match announced. Um, thanks to mostly the timing of dominion. They really didn't want to announce this match until Sonata defended against, uh, Suji. And, uh, yeah, we ended up getting not a a full, um, five on five guys derby, like we really had wanted, um, I thought that the teams they picked was really good. I did like seeing Jake with the juniors. I thought that their entrance was really fun. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about entrances later on, but I, I really liked seeing them sort of flanked. And then you have the cool uh, collected Jake. I just, I love GLG's entrances in general, but I thought this was really cool to get it in front of a, a big audience like that. Um, yeah, otherwise um, this really just didn't feel like a champion versus champion match. Um, and that sort of disappointed me overall. Uh, what were your guys' thoughts on it? I agree that this match was, it felt like an afterthought on this card. Even I watched Dominion live thinking that uh, Jake would come out after the main event and challenge Sonata to this match just to inject some last minute hype into it. But that never happened. And I think Alicia, you tweeted out something saying that Jake said along something along the lines of he finds out about his matches from Twitter. And sure enough, he found out about this match from Twitter. So <laughs> nothing has changed. But this was justice for the last two times that Jake and Sonata met in All Japan Pro Wrestling, where it ended with Jake being done dirty by Sonata. Uh, Jake got a paradise lock on Sonata himself, and he practiced that move during the second half of 2022 in All Japan, um, and we didn't really know why until we found out that his last match was going to be against Sonata. And yeah, I'm just really happy that Jake Lee's guy faction won the guy wars, and now he is the penultimate guy. And so they can, you know, just five guys can rebrand to just five fellas or something like that. Excellent, excellent points. You're right. We did win the guy wars, even if it wasn't in a, I think, a satisfactory way. I'm still disappointed in a lot of ways. I mean, let me let me actually reframe this. I'm not in the end disappointed this wasn't the main. I still think it's wild that this is not like the co-main because you have two of the like big heavyweight singles champions. Like, I don't know why you wouldn't make that your co-main. That's crazy to me. But 
you're right. That's like, this felt like an afterthought. That's why it was so, I think, disappointing in the end. Like they should have had a lot more fanfare, especially because the whole GLG, like just five guys saying like, that's not just like something that people are talking about, like on Western Pro Twitter, like people are like, people want to see this, but I think that this was definitely hindered by them having to wait until Dominion was over and them not being able to do a full court press with um, everybody on both sides. I know like Anthony Green is in America right now. Like why is Anthony in Massachusetts right now? He needs to be in Japan to do this match with the guys. So that was um, in the end, like really disappointing for me. I did love like the dual cheers for Sonata and Jake. And I thought that like there was like a nice pop and some cheers for Jake coming through the tunnel with the entrance, which looked like Rachel was saying, like this was a a stunning entrance. Like, I don't think that there's very many people this year that are going to um, have the, you know, the ability to say that they've had better entrances than Jake and GLG. They just look great. They like Jake looks amazing flanked by the two um, junior tag champions. Like it just, it did look really, really good. The wrestling in this was fine. Um, I did think that Taka sold the big kick from Jake and then like on the recoil, like he looked like he had been thrown from an explosion. So in that way, like that's awesome. That looked really cool. But yeah, like just, it was just, was disappointing. I, this went eight minutes again. There were some matches that went 11 on this card and I don't know why that wouldn't be the, the case for the, the the champions, the big singles heavyweight champions. That really does bother me. I think in the end, I would have preferred if they had like waited until Noah versus New Japan next January that you can get the entire full court press from both sides. Um, now I don't know if they're going to do something like that for Noah versus um new japan did they like do this too soon and now it's going to affect us getting like the full court press and getting all the fanfare are people going to feel like oh we already kind of saw that and it was whatever because it was on ata and it only went you know eight and a half minutes so those are kind of my disappointments and um fears but i did think that sonata and jake like looked really good together that's still a singles match that i know we've talked about off and on 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 a talking triple crown is like we would want to see this i think that there's interest around this i know they are both um talking about this in their backstages as as wanting this to happen um i don't know like when that would occur or uh like maybe that is a noah versus you know new japan match maybe it's it's jake and sonata because i think it can happen even outside of having the singles belts so that's that's it it's just disappointing like how this match wound up being treated but there is some cool moments that are associated with it we do have this mysterious hurricane coming up um for Noah in July called like one night dream, which oh, yeah. people, are, people are suspecting it's going to be some sort of crossover show. I don't know that it's going to be related to new Japan. I'm suspecting it'll probably be dragon gate. Um, but we can just keep, keep an eye out and hope they do really want this singles match together. And um, I, I think of all of the let's, let's have a match together backstage uh, teasing and backstage wishing. This is probably the one. I want the most. When you had pointed that out to me, Alicia, I got very, very excited about it. And I think it would have um, certainly made up for this match being so short. So hopefully it will happen. I would love to see that. One more thought about this match before we move on and to take away, to to stop talking about Sonata and Jake for a second, Tadasuke and Kanemaru started up this match and I thought they were such a good pairing. Like, we only got, like, maybe 30, 40 seconds of them. But they killed it in those 40 mm-hmm. seconds. And I, this made me want some more of it. So I'm hoping that we get get that eventually. A singles I, match, a tag match, anything. 
I agree. And I think that's one of the things, like if we're going to use this as the launching point to maybe opening up the industry more, Tadasuke needs to to go be the guy, like go do more, go into best of the super juniors, like go, go do those things. Because Tadasuke, I think, is starting to prove to people um, how good of a wrestler he actually is. And good looking guys, I think, has really been, I, I think, a, a revelation for him. It's really, I think, starting to show people just how good he is um, and that he can be like a superstar in his own right and represent Noah in his own right. But yeah, I agree. I think that he was a great person to start with. Um, Kanemaru, yeah. I just wish it was longer. So that brings us to our semi-main and our main events. So let's let's just cut right into it. We've got our semi-main, our big junior match, and that is Amaksa, Atsuki Aoyagi, and Hiromu Takahashi versus Hayata, Master Wato, and Rising Hayato. I loved the press conference for this. Um, just getting right in. I love that press conference. Um, they were all just their most feral little selves in the beginning. Um, after everyone introduced themselves, they were all asked like who they were most looking forward to fighting. Hayata answers no one. Um, Rising Hayato answered with Hiromu Takahashi, Wado, Atsuki Aoyagi, and then Amaksa says, oh, a foolish question. Aoyagi then says, a foolish question. And Hiromu goes, why are we going out of order? My answer is a foolish question. And then that becomes an entire thing throughout the whole conference where like they will constantly answer things with a foolish question to the point like where Wado asks Aoyagi like, hey, have you fixed your dumb pose? And Aoyagi, of course, immediately does Wado's pose and goes, that's a foolish question. So it was just a, a very fun little um, conference. I thought that the um, the most notable part of it was Hiromu then asks Rising Hayato, hey, why did you call me out? Hayato stands up, walks all the way around to the table, sits down on them in his perfect little manner. And um, Hiromu sort of hoists himself up backwards and, and mimics him and says, um, it, well, it's because you're the flashiest and also the absolute loudest person here. I love flashy, but I hate loud. And it, it was just a really phenomenal moment for Hayato. And you can immediately see like the light bulb go on in Hiromu and Hiromu becomes obsessed with him <laughs> after that. At the end, they all sort of do a, a pose off and Hiromu sort of like follows Hayato out of the um of the room doing like a mission impossible sneaking motion really funny stuff please watch these press conferences we're going to be talking about them quite a bit from here on out um but yeah I, I thought that this immediately set it up for rising Hayato to really be the star of this match which of course I immediately started salivating over I know you guys are big fans of him too so I'm excited to hear you guys talk about that um and then of course we also have a lot of um Wado and Otsuki in this match. They faced off on March 1st at Hiromu's All-Star Junior Festival. And we get um, sort of the sequel of that now. So it's it's all very exciting stuff. So I need you to just tell me what you thought. Tell me what you thought about Rising Hayato and everyone else in this match. I think right off the bat, we had Otsuki and Wato start. And this is something that I noticed from them in their All-Star Festival match as well, where when they started off, it felt a little rough. It felt like they weren't on the same wavelength, which, of course, got fixed later on. But initially, when they were doing their standoff uh, to start off the match, 
it it was pretty rough. And that's when Hayato tagged in. And of all all Japan Pro Wrestling roster standouts that were on the show on this night, I think Hayato stood out the most. He had his new gear. He has a great new look now compared to the old uh, version of himself that he had before. And then Hiromu, Hiromu demanding to fight Hayato made him look like such a big deal. And all of this combined with the fast-paced action that the juniors bring made this like a really memorable match. I really enjoyed this. I'm so proud of Rising Hayato. We talk about this at great length on Talking Triple Crown. For those of you listening that don't go over and listen to us talk about All Japan on a regular basis. But wow, like he has just made such great strides in really becoming the wrestler and the character and the performer that he is right now. He is such a son of Kento Miyahara. I can see so much of, of Kento uh, through the way that he is navigating performing right now. And it's, I think it's really going to pay off for him. I was so excited about him being a focal point of this co-main because it's going to get more eyes on him. It's going to get people interested in him and hopefully more people interested in watching what's going on um, in all Japan. It does irritate me um, when people try to say that all Japan like doesn't have strong juniors, um, which I understand that might be carrying over from like other like eras of all Japan, but that has not been true for quite a while now of contemporary, like right now happening all Japan. So I hope that that was sort of a wake-up call to people who might have been watching the press conference, but also the match, that we have great juniors. And if you're going to get into All Japan, it should be in part for them, um, especially someone like Hayato, who is um, incredibly talented. And this you know, carried over into the match as well. To me, his interactions with Hiromu in particular um, were spectacular. And then him and... Um, Atsuki to bring it home really really shined um of course uh I did think it was odd though that like and I guess maybe this is like something that they always do Wato was already lost to Hiromu he was the best of the super juniors winner but I guess they still have them carry the trophy out which like kind of feels really weird after you've lost to the champion I thought that was weird but I do think that like Wato has uh he has so much like potential. He's like becoming like, I think like a pretty like good little wrestler. I don't get to see him that often. Um, I just wish they would change like his name. I'll never understand why they saddled this guy with a name like that when he could like, he could feasibly, I think, get a whole lot better and like really like make things that like that he's doing with his character and the performance gel. But regardless, I I, I did enjoy him though. I enjoyed watching him a lot in this. Um, but yeah, Hayato, really the star of the weekend for me. Um, I'm thrilled that Hiromu recognizes like how like exciting and important he is. I hope that pays dividends for um, selfishly me, who's going to be watching the um, the All Star event in Philadelphia. I really hope that Hiromu brings people like uh, Atsuki and Hayato to Philadelphia. I don't know why like they wouldn't bring guys like that to um, Philly, and I want to see All Japan have um, a presence on that card. I thought it was nice to see like Hiromu doing like Hayato's pose until Hayato ruined it. So yeah, I think that like the only thing I can really say is that like the Noah Juniors they really took like a backseat to I think the other uh, folks in this match. Uh, Hayato had that big drop kick on Hiromu um, in the corner to the outside too, which like the crowd like like audibly had like a big like reaction to that. So yeah, I think that Hayato is like almost certainly the big winner of the weekend here because a lot of people walked away knowing who he was and were really interested to keep following him and seeing what he does next. Also, he has a tattoo on his shoulder, yeah. <laughs> which is <laughs> which is permanent. It's a tie dye tattoo. He's very proud of it. Yeah, I was definitely <laughs> going to ask about that one um, and what you guys thought of it. 
I hate it. I think it, I think it looks horrible. I thought it was a bruise at first. And, and then I looked closer. Someone got a good shot. Um, a fan got a good shot and I saw like sort of the, the spiral, the tie dye spiral. And it just, I don't have much experience with tattoos, but Alicia sort of told me what will happen to that tattoo as he got older. And it's just, it's a choice. Des, what did you think of uh, his new gear and his new uh, addition? The new gear is awesome. The tattoo, I saw that at first. I thought it was like a birthmark or something that I just never noticed. Sure enough, it's not. It's just a tattoo. I don't really have much thoughts on it. After the match, though, you had all three of the junior champions gather around and all of them trying to raise their titles higher than the other. And Hayada, who must be at least like 140 years older than the oldest one of the other two, just had this look of, I'm too old for this shit, the look on his face. And it was beautiful. That's extremely accurate. I'm, Yeah, that's extremely accurate. I was going to ask um, what you guys thought of the two Noah juniors and, and Alicia sort of touched on them, that they really took a backseat here. And I, I think that's probably pretty accurate. Uh, Amaxa does this really dangerous dive and that was sort of his big spot I know um, Alicia you have some opinions on that and you've you've had opinions on it since he started doing it I don't know why we are entertaining like we as if we have any right to I guess interject but that dive he does to the outside is so wildly dangerous and he does it in every type of venue I don't know how he doesn't get hurt or someone doesn't get hurt accidentally through that move. I can't stand it. Um, it always takes my breath away when he does it because he does it. It's so fast and it's so sudden. Um, but he could go careening off that like barricade into a fan. Like that's like just not a move I want to see people doing um, these days. I, I just don't like it. I don't like the way that it looks. And I, I'm not, I, I talked about this a lot on the Muto review we did, like Muto's retirement show, um, I guess back in February. I am not sold on the Amaxa character at all. Like, it doesn't work for me. I really liked how, before they turned him, like, ultra babyface main army guy um, coming off of Congo. He's a very talented man. Been around for ages. And I respect how much he means to other people on that roster. But Amaxa as a character makes zero sense to me. Down to the, like old language he uses in like his like just regular speaking when he's in character it drives me insane yeah not sold on him but like Hayata you know just he he did his thing he was you know remarkably in character in that way I guess yeah that is that is well said so uh, we got to see some of our junior aces let's talk about our heavyweight aces in this main event I know we're we are dying to talk about it so uh, most of this promotion for this match and actually for this show at large surrounded the Aces team of Hiroshi Tanahashi, Kaito Kiyomiya, and Kento Miyahara. They really wanted to hammer down this feeling of being fun and cooperative. And they paired together these three for photo shoots and radio events. And they all got along. They had a lot of fun, zany things. I really love this round robin selfie that these three posted during a um, conference and radio appearance. They each posted a selfie of themselves and in the background, you could see them other ones also taking a selfie. It was just a cute, fun little team. Um, They even had a talk segment 
after the June 8th press conference, which included Kento Miyahara putting Tanahashi on blast for um, going back on his vow to wear a suit to the conference. It was very funny. It was very cute. It was very charming. On the other side, we had a lot of questions about the other team, and that was Okada, Keno, and Yuma Aoyagi, and how they would even work together. Because Keno and Okada are both really proud, mean, blonde bastards. Like, that's really the biggest way to describe them. And they're very prickly. And Keno even, before this match, declared Tanahashi, Kento, Kaito, and Okada all as his enemies, making a battle cry to every single one of them. Um, of course, then they were like, hey, what about Yuma Aoyagi? And he basically responded with, what about Yuma Aoyagi? Um, so that you have this going into it. Uh, Yuma, on the other hand, was very optimistic about this team. Backstage at an AJPW show, he declared that he would act as the lubricating oil that would unite Keno and Okada, or Daisuke and Kazuchika, as he calls them, and bring the team victory with the unified force of All Japan, NOAA, and New Japan. So that's uh, sort of the setup of this team at the press conference itself. Okada and Keno were not really married to the idea of teamwork. Okada cited that his six-man never team with Ishii and Tanahashi lacks in teamwork, but they work fine because they're all strong. Keno agreed, stating, no teamwork, no bullshit, no lube. We will win as three <laughs> world-class professional wrestlers which was fantastic and an extremely kind of thing like playing off of what Yuma Aoyagi said. So, so there was just a lot of exciting things going into the match. And that's before we even touch on uh, Okada and Kaito, which uh, of course is, is a very big industry rivalry going on right now. Especially now there are a lot of eyes on Kaito as he was announced for this year's G1 climax going into this match. You were also really excited. A lot of Japanese fans were looking forward to a meeting between Kento and Okada as they're very similar. So there, there's just a lot going on in this match. Kento also sort of made a call out to Tanahashi, um, calling for a big generational change, stating, you know, you were in the last main event of um, 2012. And, you know, if you don't get out of the main event of these shows, then wrestling is at a standstill. And that's a really bad thing. So um, I'm going to end you and, and get you out. And at the end, I will say, Tanahashi-san, otsukare-sama deshita, which is um, a sort of a blanket phrase that you say to someone after they have done a good job and need to go home from work. So so now it's it basically like, good job, Tanahashi, now you can rest. Um, so that's sort of where we're at looking into this match as a big generational aces match about generational change. So with the scene set, I would love to hear you talk about this match, talk about the entrances, talk about your favorite parts. I am dying to hear it. It looks like Keno did his homework because that Tanahashi-san Oskar-sama deshita is something that Okada told Tanahashi on his debut night at Wrestle That's Kingdom, right. That's right. when he went to challenge Tanahashi. So, yeah, he, he really pays attention to the smaller details. But, uh, yeah, this match was unbelievably stressful. So I worked the day before uh, this match happened or the show happened. And I was just thinking of all these different ways that this match could go. Many of which was, how is Yuma going to get pinned in this match? Or who's going to pin Yuma in this match? <laughs> 
but yeah, this might be my match of the year, and it had a lot for everyone. It had the story continuation of a industry wide story, as you mentioned, with Kaito and Okada. But since I'm not very invested in either of the two companies that they belong to, it still had the comedy. It still had really good wrestling and these out of this world big first time interactions to back all of this up, especially with Kento and Okada. So I can't sing the praises of this match enough, and this is a must-watch for any pro wrestling fan out there. Yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about Kento and Okada, because that was a really exciting, highly anticipated first-time matchup. And Alicia, you have been singing the praises and wanting this matchup specifically since our literal, actual first episode of Kickout. We made a lot of like <laughs> guesses on a um, upcoming at the time AJPW and NJPW show and you had really wanted to see this so now you've finally gotten it how do you feel so validated in my read of both of them but also it was cool because in the build to the show I was seeing a lot of posts from some of my like Japanese mutuals um, but also some fa um, fans that I follow that like were not mutuals where people were posting about how excited they were about Okada and Kento but when I've had conversations with fans over here people usually are like that's not exciting like who would care about that and it's like well I'll tell you why <laughs> because ace figures and ace characters in uh Pearl are really really interesting and we have a lot of them obviously but there are two of them who have these like incredible similarities to where like they could actually speak the same language as each other, but not with the other ones. And it's Kento and Kazuchika Okada. And that's why they're so interesting. They have these incredible similarities, but they also have these definitely, um, they have definitely have points where they contrast. And that's what's always interested, interested me about them. Um, I've always wanted to see them actually have a real conversation um, and a real like ability to have a back and forth where uh, they can like have like a press conference and, and like really talk about each other because I think you would hear and see some really interesting things about them again because they speak the same language as aces as two people who um, and you know there's this flavor kind of runs through all aces um, every one of them thinks that they are the best right but no two quite like Okada and Kento who truly believe it is them. And then there is a like deep drop and then it is everyone else beneath them. That is unique to the two of them in a way that is so different um, than the other ace characters that we see amongst the other promotions. And that's why I've always wanted to see them actually interact and actually build to a story together for some big event. I've always wanted to be something like where, you know, we see matches in the past between like, Kensuke Sasaki and Toshiaki Kawada, like something like on that level. I've always wanted to see something like that come together, but I'm happy that it came together for this. And I was glad to feel validated by other fans in Japan who also have been interested in this, because again, you, you have those really cool similarities between them, but also those points where they do contrast. But these are two people who speak the same language in a way that is really fascinating. Speaking of Kensuke Sasaki, we got to see uh, something pretty pretty rare from Kento Miyahara, and that was that lariat, which I was pacing all day waiting for you to watch this match and give me your thoughts on that lariat. So Alicia, if you could. That's our third lariat in this calendar year. We got the first one against Nomura, and the second one was against Katsuhiko Nakajima. And now we've gotten one against Kazushika Okada. And the one against Okada really shocked the shit out of me because it came out of nowhere. 
it's interesting. I think it goes back to the comments that uh, Kento made at the end of January with sort of where he is right now. And I think that for him, a lot of that, that use of the lariat in these three moments, a lot of it comes down to he doesn't want to lose. So he's going to pull it out when he really doesn't want to lose and he thinks that he might lose. It's interesting to see exactly who it's it's come up against. Nomura is really interesting. Katsuhiko is a given. That was also a warning shot. But against <laughs> Okada at this event, and he's in this kind of weird headspace of, of wanting to to do more as Kento Miyahara this year. And he had made those interesting comments about wanting, you know, he doesn't want to lead the new generation in all Japan anymore. He wants them to do what they need to do. And he wants Yuma Ayagi in particular to kind of to do what he needs to do on his own. And he wants to kind of focus on what he wants to do this year. It's just interesting that at times with him using the Lariat now three times this year, it's fascinating. I'm interested to see what comes of that. But Okada also has that moment with him where you can see that Okada, as disrespectful as he is and as mean as he is, he also acknowledges something in Kento. When Kento's on the ground at one point, he's on the mat, and um, Okada is like sort of like kicking him in the head, but in a very disrespectful way. He says something to Kento, and he's kind of like, Rachel, you were narrating this for me because you can listen and understand, but he is essentially saying to Kento, is this all that all Japan has to offer? But he's speaking to him as the ace of all Japan and recognizing him as such. And that's very interesting coming from Kazuchika Okada. That is an ace speaking to an ace. Um, And that's an incredible recognition between these two ace characters. And again, I think what people were sort of chasing after this whole time and envisioning, what would this be like to see the two of them together? So there is a a different type of respect to that recognition of the ace of all Japan here. I have him here and this is all he has to got. Get up off the floor and actually face me, which Kento then does, right? Um, to then Kento using the lariat on Kazuchika Okada that he is very careful about when he uh, brings it out. So yeah, that was that was absolutely thrilling to see. I loved it. I love the drama of it. Um, and I'm interested to see if he pulls it out at any other time uh, this year. Because three times in a calendar year is a lot. Is a lot. Yeah, it's, it's something really to keep an eye on. And I like that you mentioned um that okada shared showed some respect and um just like equality like the one-on-one like yes we're equals he was willing to um right off the bat face off with kento which was uh very very different (laughs) from how he was treating another ace in this match um before we get to that though des did you have anything to add about kento's use of the lariat he had to do what he could to defend all japan's um honor so nothing more to add to that Des, you had mentioned it on Twitter, was uh, Kento's entrance. And we'll probably talk about Mm. that a little bit as well. But he was the first person to enter for this match. And I thought that was like just the perfect tone to set. Like if if this show is about energy, then Kento is a battery. Like he is nothing but energy. So what were your thoughts on that entrance and that crowd reaction? The crowd was loud for everyone, but you could hear the Kento chants real loud. And they stood out really well. Uh, I was a little bothered by the fact that it was a short version of Kento's theme song, but it is what it is. We take what we get. It's because of that 11-minute Zack Sabre Jr. match. Ah. Yeah. Boiled again. all six minutes of Yoshitatsu. That's right. I think for me, to hear people cheering for... I mean, to me, Kento had 
the loudest cheers throughout the entire match and also in his entrance like he had the mm-hmm. biggest pops when he is going and facing um okada at different points in the match he the chance for him drown out okada which is really says something about kento that's so satisfying for me because i've been watching long enough to have seen people over the years and this this happens because everything with kento as an ace figure in all japan or well in all japan and also in Puro, it's all cyclical and this happens to okada this will happen to kaito we're going through it now with kaito people will go through periods of like being very high on kento and then also fucking hating him so it's really really satisfying to now have like this sort of packaged proof of people for years have said that like he just works in like this company that no one gives a shit about and if you take him out of all japan no one cares and no one knows who he is um no actually like everyone knows who kento miyahara is and he is the star that he has been telling you all that he is and that is so deeply satisfying it is so deserved i hope that a lot of these guys um coming into this main that got to hear um those pops you know i think tanahashi and okada that's a different kind of it's not any less meaningful but like it's something that they experience on a different level because of the types of venues that they get to be in all the time but for someone like uh kento yuma keno guys who don't play in venues like that all of the time i hope that that was particularly meaningful but also demonstrated that these guys are spectacularly over and also i think we need to get away from that sort of stereotype of people fans in japan only following one promotion and only knowing that promotion's guys which used to be true of the industry in the past it's not true anymore and i hope that we can kind of get away from that narrative and those conversations yeah they actually had cheering sections for um the different companies that um for this and and it's a fun little concept you know um all japan fans and the all japan fan plays but a lot of fans were were sort of disappointed like there were other sections they could be in but they were sort of like well we don't really need this like the this is supposed to be all together like why are we separating them and i, I thought that was interesting and i think that's you know to your point where that's not really how it is anymore like we this show is about cooperation and it's about being all together and and people feel that people want that they do watch other promotions so i'm glad that you brought that up so going back to what i was saying about okada being an absolute utter bastard towards kaito kiyomiya i thought that their exchanges were incredible there was so much energy and uh, alicia you had been saying this that this is the kaito we want to see um, we talked about this on our um, Noah review show with Captain Lou that Kaito's just not tapping into that that bite, that hunger in Noah right now. Like Jake Lee sort of calls him out and, and is really disparaging towards him and he just sort of takes it. Um, whereas here you see an ace, like this man is not taking anything. You had some incredible words on that. I would love to hear them. Um, but I, I'm a hundred percent behind it. Like this Kaito and how he interacts with Okada is just really something I hope that he fosters in the G1 and then takes it back to Noah. Cause it, it really was just really refreshing to see. Yeah. I mean, I, I love the setup of this too. Like this was ingenious as to me is like, this match for what it was for this many people in the ring, this many ace figures, this much story going through the match, it was set up beautifully. It, it just it really was. 
Um, people were surprised, including Kento, that Okada jumped in. Um, Kento thought he was getting Yuma, right? So that was interesting to see, like, the look on, on Kento's face, knowing that, like, he was getting Okada and being like, okay, because he really thought he was getting Yuma. And all of this is just so that Okada can fuck with Kaito, which is amazing. <laughs> I I love this aspect of it. And so he throws Kaito off of the um, the ropes and Kaito comes back up and he's flipping out and he's he's indignant but he's not like comical about it like he is just indignant and enraged um, that Okada did this to him and I thought that was like awesome I, like that fire and that passion to what you were saying just now like that's what we think is missing from Kaito in Noah because when he gets fucked with in Noah he really just like takes it and it's just like a bunch of like the old men and then Jake that are being really rude to him and we need Kaito to kind of like give as good as like he takes from like these these people especially Jake because Jake is really Jake has a way of of being mean that is like extremely pointed and a completely different way than someone like an Okada but they're both as vicious and I need Kaito to start matching that energy from Jake in Noah it would take his character in a completely different direction and I think people would stop criticizing him so much um he just needs to show the same fire and intensity and impassion here um with getting indignant over Okada um that, to take it back over to Noah so yeah I thought that was perfect um but like Okada is such a master of what he does with his character. He is such a fucking villain. And it's just, it's perfect. Like I loved him bouncing on his feet. Like he's getting ready for like a fight as Kento tags Kaito in. And then he um, quickly tags out. And then he's on the outside, like laughing at Kaito. But like all of those notes are like absolutely perfect. And they were vicious to each other the entire time. Like Okada sending Kaito into those chairs was like absolutely nuts. This match fits so many different elements in because you had that incredible storyline going on, but it didn't feel out of place compared to like these other storylines that are also happening in the ring. Like they fit a lot in while keeping the match, like I think like on point, like, you know, it just never felt overwhelming, but there was also so much going on. And like Des was saying, like it was, there was something for everyone in this. Like it didn't matter what promotion you were a fan of going into this. I think you could easily take something out of it, which is really the best part of this main. Yeah, that's perfectly said. That is that is perfectly said because um, one thing Des mentioned was some of the comedy in this match. And one thing that really, I had really been hoping for some good interactions between, I guess we can call them like the rival or the heel um, team here. And, and to your point, Okada was getting some booze. Um, he was getting quite a few booze, especially against Kento, which I thought was cool. Like when he uh, first tagged in and, and was, mm -hmm. um, yeah, but, but yeah, um, this, this team, we got to see their relationship play out throughout this match. You have this whole subplot where Okada and Kento just don't quite see eye to eye they can't quite work together but they don't hate each other they do some attempts at teamwork and it quickly falls apart but never fear because the great lubricating force of pro wrestling Yuma Aoyagi was there to come to the rescue and it continues in the form of a fist bump they like start to tease a fist bump and then Yuma accidentally interrupts it and then um, towards, you know, the end and then the end of the show, we do finally get to see Okada and Keno show some respect towards each other. So um, that that was just really fun. It got some really um, great humor. And it also just really showed off Yuma Aoyagi and a lot of his character work. And I thought that was really good. It was just a very 
charming look at him. So I'm eager to hear uh, your thoughts on that as well. I'm happy that within the span of a week, we've got Gene Blast and the Great Lubricator in pro wrestling. <laughs> so that's really nice. Oh. I'm I'm really shocked at how well they incorporated the comedy into this match, but while at the same time giving it some purpose, making having this comedy so that Keno and Okada can finally see eye to eye, all at the same time, neither of them acknowledging Yuma's existence. I think it was perfect. It was so well done. I agree. There was some really like fun and like it's like classic Yuma, but it also like works so well with like the type of comedy that like Okada and Keno can do as well. Like I love the spot where Yuma interrupts their like fist bump. Like Keno and Okada are trying to fist bump, and Yuma has to come off the top rope doing his like elbow drop, and he comes in like perfectly between them and like gets up like. I'm a part of this too, right? And they're like, no. And like that that stuff is like, it plays so well. And it's like so perfectly like Yuma's personality. And they kept a lot of that stuff going with Yuma, like even through the post-match, which was like so funny and charming and like so Yuma. And like, I'm curious, Des, like how you felt about Yuma as a whole, because like you, I was worried that like, I had a whole other like way to get um, Congo in front of next stream for the world tag belts, of course. But my other worry was like Yuma must be the one eating the pin here and I really didn't want that to happen I did not want Yuma to eat the pin on this show so like how did you feel overall about like the crowd's reception to Yuma and just like your general thoughts I think Yuma came off so Yuma has been called the fool but in this one he really came off as like the strategist he looked really smart and the fact that he's able to bring these like two two very similar but massive egos in Keno and Okada together just made him look a lot better. And then the fact that he almost closed out the show. He was in the ring until the last minute and Kento, of course, as well. I think he was like second in line behind Hayato to make a huge impression on this brand new crowd. And he did a really good job. I I felt proud watching Yuma do what he did out there. Yeah, I think you're touching on like a a really important thing about Yuma that is so different about him now compared to like a couple of years ago with Yuma. When you look at like the original Next Stream lineup, right? And so I'm talking about Yuma Aoyagi, Kento Miyahara, Jake Lee, and Naya Nomura. This started out, the group of them, as like four individuals within this faction, right? And it was very purposeful. They were individuals who were coming together to fight. Uh, they were they wanted generational change, right? Um, but they also knew that they were going to fight each other. And they wanted to overcome each other, particularly Kento being the young ace. What has emerged with Yuma is that he really is the guy that unites people. And I think that he plays that role really beautifully in All Japan. And we're seeing a lot more of that, right? Because he brings Naoya back into the fold, right? In a way that only Yuma Aoyagi can. And it's kind of like mean and he's got to like kind of get at Naoya a little bit to get him going. But only Yuma can be the one to bring Naoya Nomura back into the fold in All Japan. We see with like Jake sort of on the, like in that weird middling period they left us in with like Total Eclipse. Who brings Jake back into the fold and now being a main army guy and they kind of build it around Jake, but who is the guy? It's Yuma. Because Yuma is actually the uniter of people within All Japan. It's not Kento. Kento does everything for himself. It's Yuma who is really the uniter of people. And like that, I think, is a really important 
progression point for him um, that is very different than the other three um, as they went through all Japan. And now Jake's obviously over in Noah, but I think you've touched on that really beautifully. Like he is just, um, he is that guy that is like the uniter. So that's where he found himself the lube between Okada and Keno in this, but it works really beautifully and it plays to his skills. And I hope that people um, got to see more, I think of his charm and his personality, because I think that's a huge part of it. Yeah, and, and um, let's just touch really quick on that um, closing out that Dessa was talking about, because we do get to see Yuma and Kento essentially closing out the show together um, by more or less sort of waiting for each other for them to do their whole thing. Like, Yuma, we have this comedy bit where he was ditched by his his two um, mean comrades and he's he's sort of playing it up like, come on, you guys. Very, just really good stuff. Um, and then you also see Kento just having the worst day of his life. He, you know, Tanahashi-san took, you know, his beloved Tanahashi-san took the fall. Um, he, was, he was cheering for him all match. It was very oh good. Oh my God, he's <laughs> such a like, he's such a like, he has to be the good schoolboy with specifically Hiroshi Tanahashi. And I'll say too, like, like Kento's comments afterwards were like, you and me, Tanahashi, we should unite together and like make pro wrestling exciting, which is a very Kento sentiment, but like he loves Tanahashi. And it, like, it comes across in like the match, how much he loves Tanahashi. I've never seen him like, so like he has left his teammates in all Japan to die after matches like he doesn't care but Tanahashi going through it after taking that pin from Okada he is like brokenhearted and devastated over this it's hilarious and uh, and yeah he was just hanging hanging there um the cameras do a really good job capturing that as well and um then Yuma goes off and, and Kento comes back in to get his little poses in and sort of comes back into himself and eventually they both leave the arena um together but sort of not together like in a very this is them kind of way. it just spoke very true to who they were I was wondering if we were going to get like a big wholesome heartwarming moment which isn't really them but I was wondering if we were going to go that direction um but yeah we we get to see that and now we get to see them challenging for a tag title together the tag titles on June 10th so literally today the very next day Kento Miyahara um, came to Noah to make a tag challenge for the AJPW World Tag Team titles, which is, of course, held by Keno and Manu Basoya. So, uh, yeah, your thoughts on that moment and uh, just next stream or I guess pseudo next stream now um, with Yuma and Kento teaming together as a whole. I haven't watched the challenge yet. But I did hear about it, and I'm really excited for it because this just furthers the Yuma Five Belt propaganda. In pro wrestling, I think things start to stagnate once these stories start to come to an end. I saw um a mutual of mine tweet about this um just recently that like once a store once all the stories are completed for all the guys in a company, the company starts to stagnate. And we saw that with New Japan Pro Wrestling. And I really agree with that. And one of these stories for all Japan Pro Wrestling is Yuma Five Belts. So although I really want him to achieve that. I also want him to hold that off for like his big moment years from now when he finally climbs to the top of the mountain in all Japan pro wrestling as not just world tag champion, but also triple crown champion. And I hope then they give him the three individual belts instead of the one unified belt. 
mm-hmm. and that would make that whole moment even more special. But for this tag challenge, I'm really excited for it. This will be like a big step up from the Voodoo Murders matches that we've been getting so far with Congo. And so that that makes me even more excited for the next iteration in this book. Uh, Yeah, I think that there's so much in like what Des said that is completely like true. I think that what I really liked is that even though you had Okada getting the pin on Tanahashi, so it's really a, like a New Japan sort of, you know, closing moment in that way. Everyone kind of came out to the ring and all of that. Uh, which was actually really cute. There's a lot of like little like things that you could look for in those pictures and in those the video as well of like the different people interacting with each other. There were some real Noah troublemakers in one corner. Shiazaki's fault. But yeah, so all of that was really nice. But then I think to have like Kento being adamant that he still has to do his bullshit before he leaves is like perfect. Like Kento, such a great way for like all Japan to also have that like moment in their own way. Cause like, why wouldn't he still do his moment for the fans um, there? But also he had a lot of people there that are going to want to see him and take the photo. So I think that that was like a, a good thing to do to have Yuma sort of like waiting around for him, but also like enough plausible deniability that they're actually waiting for each other. We just talked about this on talking triple crown about how we are in a very different phase of their relationship now that Yuma is catching up to him, that Yuma has beaten him in a singles match. It's not the one that we want yet, but it's still significant in the progression of their relationship. So it's interesting. I'll, I'll be fascinated to see, like he, Kento said today when he challenged Keno and Soya on him and um, Yuma's behalf, he said that it would be Yuma Aoyagi as his partner. He did not say it would be next stream. And I'm really interested to see if like, we are not going to see a next stream tag if we are going to see kento miyahara and yuma aoyagi take on uh congo for the world belt so i'll be interested to see what that is going to look like and feel like because we're in a very different phase of their relationship and to des's point like it's just so nice that like these stories are are moving forward but also you don't want them to end right like they shouldn't end that you want them to keep going and that's kind of like the nice thing about the show as a whole um we talked about this i think on our review of muto's um retirement but what we were hoping to see this year was a lot more cooperation between the promotions but also a lot of storylines being moved forward throughout the year um and that's what we're seeing it's so cool that we got to see it the very next day and we had been looking for that in perhaps a different way um kento coming to get the the challenge for the world tag belts but we saw it in a different way and it worked. So it's just really nice that these events are still leading to that cooperation and people kind of reaching out to the different promotions. And we'll see what this continues to mean um, to all the parties involved. But for those of us that are invested in all Japan and Noah specifically in certain storylines, you know, we definitely, we definitely won in, in that way. Cause a lot of our storylines are the ones getting pushed forward. Yeah, I think that's um, exactly it. Uh, Speaking of sort of, I guess, storylines there is uh, Keno immediately went back and kept the bit where he's ignoring Yuma Aoyagi uh, backstage. He's like, oh, Kento Miyahara is challenging. That's great. Like they they had some really good, and you actually um, had noted, they had a really good forearm exchange. They had some good moments in this match, but um, Keno had mentioned on his channel, he really wants to fight Kento. And he's like, oh yeah, we get to fight Kento. That's great. Um, We're doing... Kento, Miyahara, and um, um, and Soya's like Yuma Yagi. And he's like, okay, Kento, Miyahara, and Soya, Yuma Yagi. And he's like, oh, okay, Yuma Yagi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. And um, and then Soya, of course, is is facing um Yuma Yagi in a singles match on the 11th, so tomorrow. 
and and then they sort of go from there but it's really funny like you said that these are the jumping off points these are um the things that these wrestlers are going to reference back to and think about and these are informing different relationships from across um the board and all around the industry and that that's going to fuel more of those stories so that these stories don't stagnate and end um to bring it back to death and i i think that's fantastic um one person in this match we didn't really touch on was of course Hiroshi Tanahashi who did take the pin I thought he looked really stunning with Keno he took some really fantastic kicks um and then also him just taking the pin in this match was to bring it back to what this match what the show is about it's about energizing revitalizing and ultimately about generational change this was putting it to rest we've got um him closing out the main event as you know as the loser and Okada as the winner and that's just really really pointed and it speaks to the forward motion of the world of wrestling and I really like that it is weird to think about it because like I think about when I think about when I became a fan and I don't believe Okada had beaten him at Wrestle Kingdom yet so it's just really weird uh to end on a note of like Okada just decisively (laughs) defeating Tanahashi in the main event of of uh an event like this but it's like again it's like the the marching forward of time and it's like things are changing um Tanahashi's getting older like a lot of like these guys are are getting a lot older and like you you are feeling I think in a very different way that that generational change Marafuji's 25th anniversary in wrestling is in August like I think you can feel those little things at the corners of this event even if we left this event thinking a lot more perhaps about rising Hayato and Yuma Aoyagi that was beautifully said um and I think that sort of wraps up our thoughts on the sort of each match but I did have some categories that I wanted you guys to think about and answer for me. And so we're going to start off right up the top. What was your best match off of this card? Without a doubt, the main event. It was just so perfect. It might be my match of the year. It, it is my match of the year. I'll just say it. You're entitled to say it. I think it's like it's easily going to be super high up there for me. I don't know if anything right now is going to beat all japan uh versus congo at at mudo show but it's close yeah i think for me it would be the main as well because of all the things that we got to see in it but i do want to say i really liked the axis match against hokotomo mori and uh satoshi kojima i still uh really enjoyed that too yeah it was the main (laughs) nothing's really going to compete with that on this card um it is one of i guess uh alicia has been calling them like the big comfort matches of the year like the the top matches that we could watch over and over and over again and that's where it is for me like it's not my match of the year <laughs> um Kano and, and Katsuko Nakajima from um May 31st still take that for me but um is this is this is a comfort match this is something I could watch over and over again and that really speaks to um what they achieved during this match so the next one I have is the best moment or the best, I guess, angle, either or. What sort of did you take away as thinking like, oh, that's a moment in this show? For me, easily, it is Kento pulling out the lariat on Kazuchika Okada <laughs> because I did not foresee him doing that um, before it happened and it like took my breath away. So definitely that for me. 
for me it would be Yuma being the the one that brings together Okada and Keno and that in particular for the moment it would be the the elbow drop that went between the fist bump that was that really sealed the deal for this moment for me. Yeah, that was that was a really good those are really good moments. For me, I really liked rising Hayato doing the shutter chance. <laughs> Uh, that that I think was my moment, um, but you know, rising high to in general. But uh, that really got me good. I, I popped big for that one. Next, we have best entrance. Okay, I know, I know my answer for this one. So we didn't really touch up on this, but Team All Japan Pro Wrestling versus United Empire had the Saito brothers, Honda, Sato, and Tamura all walk out to Dan Tamara's theme song. And I was like filled with unreal amounts of joy flowing through my body. I was so happy because it's it's so rare that you see heavyweights walking out to the team songs of junior heavyweights, especially on such a big card like this. It just, it was so perfect. I had goosebumps watching this. I want to add really quickly, because that's like a perfect thing, Des, for your answer to be. We love those boys. However, we just don't want to talk about United Empire or certain <laughs> people on the United Empire teams. That's why we ended up skipping that match. However, there was a lot of really important <laughs> things that happened with Evolution on that card that do involve Dan and like the level of like respect he's being given right now, which I think is really important to mention. Um, Dan did get to walk out to his own theme with everybody, which is so, so cool. Um, that was really like to that said, just like perfectly said, that's, that's a huge moment for him. And then for those of you that maybe are not all Japan fans, Suwama is the one who brought back his own, you know, faction voodoo murders, right from the dead. And he brought it back. And that's been a huge thing for the past like year in all Japan. He was just kicked out by the Saito twins. Um, and now uh, we were not sure how we were going to get to the point where evolution would heal and kind of come back together. Well, they're healed. They're healed through the power of all together again, because Suwama was so overwhelmed by just the spirit of the show and the community and everybody together that now everything is fine with evolution. And he has been welcomed back in, even though I think maybe, I think Connor was saying that like, eh, maybe Sato has like some mixed feelings, but they're all pretty much fine because they had like this big, huge, long um, backstage about it. That was like five videos long. And um, they ate the rice balls together, like the, you know, the symbolic evolution rice balls, and everything is good to go, and they've been healed now. And so Voodoo Murder Suwama, I think, is mostly gone, even though they did close to Suwama's uh, Voodoo Murder scene. So, yeah, there was a lot of stuff that happened on the card, but Dan drove a lot of that moment. He gave them the rice balls, and they respect him now, and they don't, like, talk over him, and they're not, like, weird with him in the way that they were before. So there's, like, this evolution happening to Dan's character um, and the respect that he has, like, within evolution, but also, like, within his contemporaries in all Japan. And I really love that. So I wanted to highlight that so thank you Des for bringing that up um I think best entrance would easily go to GLG however on like a more sentimental level Kendo for the pops and for the crowd being behind him that's also a huge highlight for me I'm I'm in pretty much the exact same boat uh GLG just on the overall like aesthetic and presence of their entrance and then just sort of that personal feeling of joy um would be Keno's entrance for the exact same reason like the way the crowd absolutely screams when his theme hits and um just like 
they get so loud as he comes out of that tunnel. And, and it's just really wonderful. This is his 15th anniversary year. So it's um, just really nice to see everything he has accomplished in those 15 years. Made me very, very proud to be his fan. Next up, we have biggest star um, or biggest breakout star. For me, it has to be Rising Hayato. He looked like a million bucks. I think once we come around to December time, a lot of these companies are going to try to poach him, I feel, just because he looked so good in that match with the new gear, uh, just his new persona that he's uh, inherited, not inherited, but developed over the last half a year or so. I think it was perfect, and he looked great. Yeah, I think like it can really only be Rising Hayato. I think that like what really set the tone for the event was his performance in the the conference. And like frankly, after watching this entire conference, I realized that I really need to start watching these things more often. I used to for years watch them religiously because it was like one of the best ways to learn about the wrestlers was to watch the conferences, even if you don't understand what they're saying necessarily up front. But um, this was such a fun conference and yet like even with all of the different personalities and stars on the on the conference he was the star of it and I think it really started with that and got people like buzzing and then for him to do that like his his new ring gear looks incredible like the purple plaid on him is such a look his makeup is like outstanding I desperately want to know what settings for he uses but like there's all these elements to him that are just like fascinating and cool and it was so nice to see like everyone on Twitter sort of like buzzing and talking about him. Even if I know, like I know who watches all Japan and who doesn't watch all Japan on my timeline. Um, but it was cool to see who uh, doesn't watch all Japan. That was like interested in learning more about him because he's fantastic. And he's come such a long way. Yeah. When Alicia and I put together these categories, I had suggested biggest breakout star with rising Hayato in mind um, because of that conference. And I, I really, felt like okay this this match is going to be a huge breakout moment for him and and that is exactly what happened and uh yeah i don't think you could really answer with any anyone else like you yuma is is very high up there and a very good breakout but um yeah ri rising Hydro just really rose to the occasion <laughs> um yeah so those are the categories. Those are the shows at large. However, before we close out, I did want to address one more thing. And that's actually, you had mentioned, Alicia, that a certain man had wanted um, and talked about more collaborations. So we have this amazing event. We have all of these, you know, collaborations that have gone on in the industry. And um, yeah, and then Okada mentioned wanting to see more people go to different companies to make this happen. And then we also have this um, New Japan Global tweet sort of showing off all of these different shows that have happened or are coming up. I believe it was all together, um, the Fantastica Mania show that they do with CMLL, Forbidden Door we have coming up, and then um, Hiromu's putting on a USA All-Star Junior Festival as well. And of course, those are all New Japan events um, that they were highlighting and they called it the Summer of Togetherness, which is quite a little phrase. But yeah, it, it's interesting to me. I was wondering your thoughts on that and sort of, I, I want to say centering themselves and sort of taking charge of this new collaboration. And I, I think Okada is just really saying it because he genuinely wants it. But um, I thought that the New Japan Global tweet was pretty pointed. So I'm interested to hear your thoughts on that. 
I agree with them. I think that all the New Japan Dojo guys should be all together. So Nagata, Yoshitatsu, like I think they should all just return and you know be all together. I agree. Kojima, go. Mm-hmm. Be yeah, all yeah. together. Be all together. I would love that for them. Yeah, that would be beautiful. And I think it's funny, like I think that Okada, like you said, genuinely means this. I think he really wants to continue the theme of revitalizing the industry through this like interpromotion sort of sharing of the wrestlers. But it's like, okay, you first. Where are you going? You know, <laughs> that would be fascinating to get his uh his answer on a question like that. But ultimately, I do think that he is correct. It's amazing that I'm saying that because I'm always someone who's been uh, <laughs> a bit of an isolationist because I'm someone who likes these events to happen and then no one should talk to each other for three years. And that's not realistically what we're getting anymore. And I think that leads into the political nature of the New Japan Global tweet, right? Because it's interesting that, you know, and Des, I'm glad that you're here because you can give me your thoughts on this. But I think that it's interesting that All Japan has for a long time now, and this doesn't really make any sense to me personally, but All Japan gets kind of treated like an indie. And I guess it's because of like the size of the venues they run, et cetera. I can never consider All Japan an indie because they hold a belt that was held by Jumbo Saruta. So therefore, you're never an indie. So it's interesting to have people treat All Japan like an indie, but they're in this conversation with two companies. Well, they don't consider themselves indies. However, whenever we're talking about, you know, the American companies, WWE, AEW, particularly WWE, there's always this sort of sense of like, oh, like AJPW might be snapped up and turned into um, NXT Japan, right? And there's been rumors to that in the past. So this tweet, this Noah, or rather this New Japan global tweet comes off very much like a celebratory thing of like, this is what we're going to achieve together with all these great events, but also we're going to be in control of our own narrative and our own industry together and folding in the three major companies together. Um, So it feels very much like them wanting to control um, their own narrative and their own industry. And yeah, like AEW is, you know, they're referenced in that, like there's, you know, the Forbidden Door event is coming up and um, there's a lot of cooperation in that, but they're really framing it as we're we're controlling it from our standpoint. Like we're we're in the driver's seat here, rather than what we always kind of hear about in these conversations, which is like people trying to frame it as Japan needing AEW or just the like American companies in general a lot more than I think people think. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense to me. That these comments are sort of taking it back a lot of ways um because keep in mind this is the global twitter so we are speaking to a lot of the global fans here um and and taking it back from you know tony khan i'll just say it um patting himself on the back for for bringing in all this japanese talent and being the savior of puro um so there's definitely something to be said here and and also said about new japan sort of um taking it all under their umbrella i think there's a lot to be said to that as well um des did you have any thoughts on it yeah, well, when people talk about All Japan Pro Wrestling and, you know, the smaller venues that they run, first of all, I don't appreciate the disrespect towards Shinkaba First Ring, please. <laughs> yep. But also, <laughs> <laughs> but calling All Japan Pro Wrestling an indie, I could see that maybe towards like 2019's era when there was a lot of people that were being brought in from like outside companies or from the indies. And so they had like their own 
stable group of guys that were signed with the company. But then there was also a bunch of people that they kept bringing in through like this revolving door um, throughout the indie scene. So I could see it being called as a super indie back then, but I cannot say the same anymore. Like now they're at a point over since pretty much COVID started that they can stand on their two feet and proudly say that they are, uh, they are the company that gave birth to um, guys like Jumbo Siruta and Tenryu and all these like big names. And now they have Yuma Aoyagi, Kento Miyahara, current GHC champion Jake Lee, Naoya mm-hmm. Nomura. So, yeah, I think uh, that doesn't hold true anymore. As for like the AEW one, I think being featured on AEW, I'm sure it does help. And I know that it has helped a lot of these uh, several Japanese companies because, um, you know, Miyu Yamashita got a big spotlight on her as soon as she was featured on their TV. Same with like Takeshita, where they they bring him on and people see like, oh, wow, there's this whole new outside world out there that maybe I haven't explored. But it also comes off in a weird way where people now look at Takeshita like now he's in the big leagues, which is slightly disrespectful because he is very accomplished in his time in DDT. They have had sold out venues in um, the Saitama Super Arena. So I see like both sides of it, but I think they should give out some more context unless you're like, yeah, this guy is a DDT uh, universal. Is it universal or KOD? I don't. KOD. Oh, I, KOD. He has not held that. Well, that's the big, the big, the big bell is the KOD. Yeah. KOD. He has held that one. He yeah. has held that one. Yeah. Yeah. He has held that one. And so like, yeah, it would be nice that if he, if they gave some more context and say like, yeah, there's this whole world out there. And maybe when, you know, we're not running our shows on Wednesdays and Saturdays, you should go watch a DDT show. Mm. No, you're right. I think that's like the, they sort of make the same mistake that WWE does not in the same way. Cause WWE is, is so much worse, but they do in that way, make the same mistake because there are these inherent partnerships to AEW working with DDT specifically. Right. Cause I remember like, when I went and saw Takeshita and Junakiyama, that was the weekend that like they were dropping Takeshita off because he had like officially signed. Um, so there was a lot of like interest in like, you know, fanfare around that, but they don't really, the partnership is interesting because yeah, like there's cooperation in that you're sending Takeshita over, you send some other guys over, but they never throw it back to like, but did you sign up for Wrestle Universe? Are you checking out, you know, DDT and like looking at what, you know, Sanchiro Takagi's other guys are doing? They never frame it that way. And that's, to me, the same kind of thing as WWE. It's it's like you can have as many partnerships as you want. And you can say like, oh, we work with these guys, these guys. But if you're never throwing it back to like, but are you going to check out their work? Are you going to check out these other guys on their um, streaming networks? Like, I don't really understand then what the partnership is doing for everybody, unless they really think it's a good faith thing of like, oh, well, if you like Takeshita, inherently you'll know through osmosis to go <laughs> sign up for Wrestle Universe, which I don't think ever happens. I don't think it worked with World, and I don't think it works with Wrestle Universe inherently. Yeah, I don't think I've ever met anyone who has signed up for Wrestle Universe after seeing Takeshita, which I mean, he has a lot of fans, so that is good, and there there is a lot of good to that, but Personally, I don't know anybody, but, um, but yeah, that sort of brings us, do you feel like this collaboration with NJPW is any different? Does it 
I mean, it's hard to say if it's going to put new eyes on, on the different products, but um, does it feel different to you? I guess is what I'm getting at. Hard to say since it is such a small niche as well. I would say it should just because even amongst the wrestlers, there is a lot more interaction. There's a lot more of a closer story compared to if all Japan sent Kento over to AEW for a show. So I think, I think it will be beneficial, but, uh, sorry. <laughs> don't it was don't apologize. It was Alicia's face when Des mentioned that for those who are listening. The way I'd have to white knuckle that experience the whole way through. <laughs> this young upstart from Japan. Oh, oh man, I can hear it. Oh gosh. <laughs> what about you, Alicia? What do you think? I guess I don't really have a lot of super strong opinions because I'm so far removed from what these cards actually feel like. I didn't really watch the first Forbidden Door. Um, yeah, I didn't watch it. <laughs> I don't think I did. I just, well, I just, you'll be watching this next one because I am going to have to watch the next yeah. one. Where we are doing something special around it, which we're really excited about. It'll be interesting. But I didn't watch the first one. I just kept up with Kanamaru's tweets to make sure that he was getting out of this country okay. Yeah, I guess I haven't been that invested in it. So I don't really, the experience of them has been kind of weird for me. I guess I see a lot of discourse on Twitter and it makes me want to just mute every term ever. So I never have to look at this discourse a day in my life. I guess um, I don't really know what anybody gets out of any of it, but I've also never understood that from the very beginning of my experiences watching Japanese wrestling. Even when I was like just getting into it, which was back in like, um, end of 2014, going into 2015, I remember people talking on like Reddit about how they were getting like the cards at the um, War of the World shows uh, saying like, you know, you can sign up for three months free of World if you put the code in. Yeah. And that's a lot of free New Japan, right? You don't get that now. People were taking the cards and just throwing them on the ground. Like people were not taking advantage of this. And like, that's always kind of stayed with me because I don't think that mentality has ever really changed i think a lot of people kind of come with the idea in mind that they're going to watch the guys that they watch because they watch the product based in america there's some overlap and there's people that defy that obviously but for me i quickly stopped watching american wrestling and just started watching japanese wrestling so for me like i just don't understand i don't understand the other side of it and i don't really understand what the japanese companies get out of the the full uh, experience of it and each I think it's important to say that each company in Japan has a different idea of what success in the other parts of the world means to them New Japan's goal is not Noah's is not DDT's is not all Japan's and I think that's really important to keep in mind too that just because New Japan might have a, spe a specific idea of what success means in a partnership with AEW that is not necessarily going to reflect what Noah views as success in the West and so on and so forth. So it's all very muddy to me and I don't really know how to understand it yet. Yeah, I think that's perfectly said. Just to bring it back, we do hope that we will see a lot more collaborations in these companies. I like what Des said, where a lot of these stories um, within Japan between these Japanese companies are a lot closer and a lot tighter knit. And I really, really like that point a lot as well. And we just have to wait and see what that brings us. But it is pretty clear already right off the bat, even with Kento coming to Noah, um, literally today, it's not over yet. And I think we might be getting 
a summer of togetherness and hopefully from then on to the future as well. So thank you guys so, so much. Thank you, Des, for coming on and joining us. If you could one more time, plug yourself, tell everyone where uh, they can find you and read your fantastic takes. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Desiree for some more All Japan talk and endless Jake Lee praise. And yeah, thank you so much for having me on. This was a pleasure. Thank you so much, Des, for joining us. We will plug you in the show notes so people can find you. And we always love Jake Lee praise around here. I'm Alicia. You can find me at Sharon Kai. You can find me and Rachel at Kickout299. You can also find us on Instagram at the same handle. And if you could do us a favor and follow and subscribe to Kickout on your preferred podcast platform, we'd really appreciate it. Leaving a five-star review is also very appreciated helps us defeat the algorithm so we show up in more of your feeds which would be great um and we also want to thank everyone because we recently hit 45 star reviews on spotify which is like a huge achievement for us we're really proud of it we take that very seriously and as a way for you to tell us that you like what we do so thank you all very much for your support in that way and again i am rachel at milky star on twitter m-i-i-k-y star and we are kickout 299 Thank you all so much for coming all together with us and we'll talk to you soon.